because of pain meds, disconnection because of missing this gathering, um, disconnection because of being out of my normal routine, all those things. Not, not excuses, just reality over the last three weeks. Um, but my intent has been to be in the Word, stay connected, and, and to be prepared to see and receive everything that I knew this time would bring the other major medical um, events I've had in my life have all brought revelation. God's used all of them to teach me things and show me things. And as I said last week, um, much of it, much of the last three weeks has been about him encouraging me to see fruit in my own family. Uh, fruit of sanctification, not behavior modification. As I've seen what my wife and what my kids are becoming, way beyond what I'm seeing they're just doing for me. And I'm very encouraged by that. And I'm very grateful for that. And it's definitely fueling in me a desire for more sanctification and more of God and more truth and more clarity. And um, so today I want to start with kind of asking a broad question of what does God want? And we're going to go to his word here to answer that question. That's obviously a very big question with many layers of, of right answers. We're going to go um, to what's written today and recognize that his commandments to us, especially regarding how he is to be dealt with, is a very clear indication of at least some of how that question is answered. Everyone tracking with me? Let me pray for us. Father, we just pray right now for ears to hear only your word. We pray that every distraction and anything that would come against your perfect will this morning would be silenced in our ears and your voice and your voice alone would be loud and crystal clear. I pray for a guard on my own mouth that only your truth would come forth the seed that you have for your saints on this set-apart day to accomplish your perfect will on this set-apart day for this set-apart gathering of these saints. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for sanctifi sanctification that comes as we apply it. And so we pray against any defensiveness or um, twisting of of your words we pray only for ears to hear what the spirit of the living god is speaking today in jesus name amen so we're going to read these commandments and then we're going to paraphrase them as succinctly and crystal clearly as we possibly can so who's got exodus 20 and wants to read verse 3 for us Okay. 
Is there any way to say that more clearly or more succinctly or more memorably? He did a pretty good job. sort of as an answer to the question. So we're seeking this morning, sorry camera, I just got real close. We're seeking this morning to answer the question, what does God want? We're going to go to his commandments, specifically his commandments to us regarding how he is to be dealt with to answer the question, what does he want? In the very first commandment he gives, um, my way of writing it to answer the question, God wants to be God. Everyone clear about that? God wants to be God. Number two, verses four through six. Okay, so this is a commandment that we've spoken about a little bit recently. It's a, it's a commandment that sort of when it's first read can be fairly easily dismissed because it's speaking about creating carved idols, which we're not really in the practice of doing anymore. But if we simplify that to its simplest form, what does God not want in our life? Idols, Idols or idolatry. Right? And then the second part of this commandment gives us some clue into a specific form of idolatry that we might not recognize. And he highlights it by describing things about himself. Right? What's, what's the, the um, part of this commandment that I'm referring to? Verses 6. Right? What's verse 6? So Angie, read that one real quick again. But showing mercy. Oh, I'm sorry. Read five and six. Okay. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So he goes out of his way in a commandment that starts off by him saying, no idolatry, he finishes the commandment by describing himself. And as we've discussed in detail over the weeks past, why does he do that? What is the, what is the tricky form of idolatry that he is 
seeking to protect us from? Hmm? Changing him. Right? The, the trickiest form of idolatry there is, is taking the God of the Bible and changing him. If you will, creating a carved image of the God of the Bible. So, so to protect us from doing that, at least in this commandment, there is details about God that sort of my belief, my interpretation is he wants to make sure we don't change those specific things about him. Why else would they be found in this specific commandment? Why would God describe himself in a specific commandment about not creating a carved image? I believe it's because he's trying to protect us from the most tricky and probably the most prevalent type of idolatry there is in the church, which is taking the God of the Bible and changing him to fit our likes and dislikes and needs and wants and schedules and appetites and so on and so forth. Okay, so I'm going to add to God wants no idols. God wants no idols and God, God wants to not be changed. Because the minute we take the God of the Bible, listen to me, saints, this is super important. The minute we take the God of the Bible and change Anything about what he said, that's now an idol. Everyone recognize that. It's super important that we get that. That is the most tricky, the most deceptive, and the easiest form of idolatry to slip in. We don't have to concern ourselves, for the most part, of making a carved image of a son and bowing down to it. That's not what this culture does. But it's absolutely what the church in America, in 2020 does is to take the God of the Bible and shape him into what we want. Okay, one commandment, one truth, one compromise, one counterfeit, according to Deuteronomy 4.2, one addition to the law or one subtraction to the law, and we're already into idolatry. Everything has got to be tied to what's written. That is our protection regarding this commandment specifically. Everyone clear? Number three, verse 20. Verse yes, I'm sorry. Chapter 20, verse 7. <laughs> Thanks, Griffey. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'm sorry, I need my phone. Yeah. So, uh, in this, by the way, it's not a teaching on the commandments, so I realize we're, we're, we're blazing through these pretty fast, um, but we're just getting some, um, some big picture, I suppose, big picture truths. So we, we dug into commandment three um, a year or so ago, maybe it was more than that, and um, this one, again, often gets mistaught, misunderstood. For the most part, it's often about cussing, you know, using the Lord's name in vain, saying GD or whatever. That's not what this commandment is about. Uh, this commandment is very specifically about um, how we carry 
the name of God as being his own. Okay, so read it again, Kirby. Okay, so the best way to understand the translated word that they made take in that commandment is the same way that Diane took the name Sass. That's how that, that's how that word is used. She took my name. She carries my name now. She owns my name. Right? So, so God is saying, if you want to take my name... Who are we, by the way? The bride of Christ. If you're going to take my name, you are not going to take that name in vain. Okay, now this is the translation for the word vain. It's shave in the Greek, S-H-A-V, Strong's number 7722. And this means to bring a sense of desolation or destruction to ruin or to morally guile Figuratively, it, it stands for idolatry, uselessness, or deceptiveness, and, and, and ultimately it means to take falsely. Okay, so to, so to take God's name, let's just make that as simple as we can make it, to call yourself a Christian, right? Or to call yourself born again, or to call yourself his, or to believe and portray and communicate that you belong to God of the Bible, the God of the Bible says you better do that very seriously. You better carry that name very seriously. And I will not, Kirby, how does the commandment end? I will not hold guiltless those who do what? Take his name in vain. Take his name, in vain. Take his name lightly. Misrepresent me. Misrepresent my name. Right? Does this ring true with the teachings we've been having about being a witness? Holy cow. It, cut, it ties right back to the very beginning. To call ourselves gods, to take his name, to, to consider ourselves his bride, and to do that in any way that brings destruction to his name, that brings destruction to his cause, that brings fakeness to his holiness, that dilutes what it means to belong to him, this is what he's talking about. Right? These are questions about what God wants. Number one, God wants to be God. All of these flow one to the next. And in his godness, he wants to make sure that he's competing with nothing, specifically not competing against being changed into what we want. Number three is he doesn't want us to take this lightly. Can, I, can, we, can we summarize it better than that? All of it. I just wrote, God doesn't want to be taken lightly. S sort of, sort of summarizes that commandment. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your man, 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Okay, we could go on and on and on and on and on about this commandment and why it's so important and why it's still in place and why we are gathered here today on the Sabbath. Uh, we're not going to do all that because this is not a teaching on the commandments. This is a teaching on what God wants. And one of the things that God wants is for us to do what? Remember, the commandment, saints, is to remember. Remember automatically means that something already is, right? We are to remember that the Sabbath already is holy. We're to remember and keep it that. Who made the Sabbath holy? God did. When did he make it holy? From the very beginning. Why did he make it holy? It doesn't matter. There's lots of reasons why. The bottom line is he did, and it is. And our commandment is to remember that and keep it that. The way in which, some of the way in which we go about doing that is by doing no work, right? But it is not specifically about rest. And the commandment is not to have a day of rest. The commandment is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Part of the way in which we do that is, about, is, is, by, is by resting, but the, but the specific what does God want is not, he doesn't want us to, is not that he wants us to rest. What does he really want? Keep it, Keep it what it is. Right? What does holy mean? Set apart where? Unto him. It is not set apart to not work. It is not set apart to rest. It is not set apart to play. Although we don't work and we do rest and we can play. It is set apart unto him. It is a day set apart unto him. It already is that. The commandment is to keep, remember it and keep it that way. So what does God want? God wants a day set apart unto him, okay? So, if we had to summarize, I just want this to be as simple and memorable as we can possibly make it. Jenna, simple and memorable. You're never going to forget this. Juliet, you are never going to forget this. This is a huge question, Darlene. What does God want is a huge question. I'm going to give you one simple answer that you're never going to forget. And it's not a complete answer by any stretch. But it is an answer that I can easily arrive at when I look at the specifics of these commandments. When I look at what God has commanded us regarding how we are to relate to him... I think it's very clear This is, this, is, this is my answer. This is the one you're never going to forget, Jenna and Juliet and Darlene and everybody else in here. This is what God wants. 
Don't ever be confused again. Don't ever think you got to have a theological degree. Don't ever think you got to be old to understand this. This is what the God of the Bible wants. He wants to be the center of everything in our life. That's pretty easy to remember. How do we go about ensuring that God is the center of our life? How do we go about recognizing that this is very specifically, literally right, he wrote with his own finger that he wants? That he wants to be God, that he does not want to be changed, that he does not want to be taken lightly, in that at least one day of the week is going to be set apart for him. Right? How do we make sure that God is the center of our life? So here's, here's, here's a question I posed a couple weeks ago um, when we were disconnected. I sent everyone a text, and I asked you a question. And I hope, I know I, I heard back from some of you. I didn't even specifically ask for a response, but, but I'm grateful for the ones that I got. Um, but my hope was that um, each of you that got that text would have read it and thought about it. And my question was specifically, how would you rate your household's spiritual health right now? And that's kind of a goofy question and in, in, in not super clear what I'm asking. So then I, I took it one step further and I said, maybe think about it this way, kind of on a scale of one to 10, how close are you to the Lord? And I, and I posed the question pretty ambiguously for a purpose. And it's because I wanted to ask another question today, right? The question that I want to ask today, and I actually want feedback is, when I asked that question, and if you did spend some time thinking about it, how did you go about coming to your answer? What, what did you use to come up with the answer you gave? What, did you, what metrics did you measure by? What fruit did you judge? What, what did you go off of? Or if you hadn't thought about it, and I'm talking specifically to the kids who likely did not get my text, if you were asked, how connected to the Lord are you right now? Or if you had to rate God being the center of your life, a 10 being God is literally involved in all of it, a 1 being God has little place in my life, where would you rate yourself? I'm open to feedback. Excellent. 
good. Everyone understand the first thing Michael mentioned, by the way? Because I got several responses that communicated the same recognition. And as it should be, it came from the men. Right? Men who recognize that their household's spiritual wellness is actually on them. Not entirely, but a huge part of it. Why? Because man is the head of the wife. Right? That's not Eric's opinion. That's the word of God. And the ordering that the God of the Bible has placed over a marriage. The spiritual health of a home, the spiritual health of a home is first and foremost up to the man. He sets the tone. He is the head. So my I'm I'm very pleased to have gotten so many responses that the men recognized that that is a that is a part of why I'm asking this question. Are you responsible? Absolutely. Is it is it countercultural for men to be spiritually responsible in their homes right now? It's literally celebrated. Like it, it used to be men saw teaching their kids the word of God, teaching their wife the word of God, leading their home in Bible study, leading their home in prayer, leading their home in holiness and godliness. That used to be the case. That used to be the measure of a husband being a good head. Now the measure is how good is the children's ministry that you send them to? Right? That is a product of of consumerism church that has enticed the men to say, I'll give it to a 20-year-old intern and assume that one hour of the week is going to spiritually shape my kids and protect them from all the enemy's lies and teach them the truth and see them connected to the Lord in powerful ways. What a crock. So I praise God that there is awareness in the men in this congregation that we have a lot to make up for and a lot of responsibility. And are we the breadwinners? Absolutely. Are we protectors? Absolutely. Do we nurture and care and, 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 and those things? Absolutely. But all of those things fall second to leading our family spiritually. Agreed? Very important we recognize that. Okay, so one of the things Michael mentioned is intimacy. Right? Okay, I'm going to just make a dot. I'm going to make three dots. Any, anything else that you would judge that you would use to gauge your family's spiritual health? Yes, sir. God.
Amen. Good. Intentionality, intentionality as a, as a general um, answer and time in the word is a specific answer. I like it. What else? Anything else? Good. More intentionality, right? Intentional discussions about God. I love it. Worship. We have been literally programmed, body of Christ, to only worship when there is a paid professional standing in front of us. And if they're on a stage, even better. And if there's an awesome light show behind them, even better. Right? We've been, we've been, we've been programmed to worship with emotion. Right? And, that, and it's just a, it's a tiny step, saints, listen to me. It's a tiny step to go from smoke and lights to alcohol. Because pagan worship is all about getting drunk. Why? Because you can feel real good worshiping your pagan god when you're buzzed. Right? And then, and then that leads to other debauchery. Right? Don't believe that, that any worship that is, that is fundamentally feeding your emotions and your feelings can't go there. Because it does. So to re-understand worship and get it out of the, the, almost the single model that we've grown up with, which is being led in song by a band and everything that goes with it, the first thing that we got to do is get it back in the house. The first thing we got to do is do it when we're not being led, right? Why? Because God is worthy. And he's not just worthy one hour a week or half of one hour one week a week. So worship at home is huge. Someone else said prayer, right? Huge. I, uh, yes. To be honest, I had to read it again because when I first read it, um, I think it's kind of where I was at in time. It was like, I kind of was reading it like how, how close do I feel yeah. like I am? And I was like, oh, well, let me think. How am I feeling Good. right now? So Absolutely. That made me really you, you don't think that it would be the primary answer if that text went out to the body of Christ in general, the body of Christ in general, how would you rate your spiritual health right now? Probably 95% of them would base that entirely on how they feel. How close to God do I feel right now? That's absolutely how that question would be answered. Right? In feelings, the word of God is very clear. Right? They are the, the easiest way to be manipulated, the easiest way to be deceived, the easiest way to be led astray, the absolute easiest way to have God removed from the center of everything is to base everything off your feelings. Right? And yet that is how most people would actually answer the question, how close to God are you right now? I'm not really feeling it. Or I'm really feeling it because I just love the song that was just playing or the artist that was singing it. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So then that's Sorry, I got <laughs> So, but on that note, that has been part of my struggle in a good way is I have felt a level of distance, but it has only drawn me closer. So to say that I probably feel closer than even though the feelings wasn't but then when I read it and thought, okay, it's not about feelings, it's about my household, I 
I just keep coming back to the only way that I feel that it's easy to look at, and it was looking at each of us in our household and the fruit which we display. Good. But, and it was, it literally is the fruit of the Spirit. And yep. whether that's present or not present, and that's how I came to the, if you want to call it, the rating of the spirituality of our household. Excellent. Judging the fruit, right? Jesus' own words. How do you know anything? The only way you can know is by judging the fruit. The fruit never lies, not long-term in particular. So judging the fruit is the easiest, best way to recognize what's the heart of something, right? That whole teaching is about an apple tree is not going to show lemons, and a lemon tree is not going to show oranges. Whatever, you know, whatever, if, if a tree is good, it's going to bear good fruit. If a tree is bad, it's going to bear bad bear fruit. This is a teaching about false teaching and false prophets. But ultimately, it says the teaching is fruit can't be faked. Fruit won't be faked. Fruit is produced. Fruit grows from the heart. So judging the fruit is hugely important. Fruit of the Spirit can only come when we are sowing in the Spirit. Fruit of the flesh comes very easily when we sow in the flesh. So judging the fruit is critically important. Judging the fruit versus gauging your feelings is the only way to really know where we sit. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you this is all for a purpose. God wants uh, the saints at NCC to be very clear where we sit, where, where we are health-wise, where we are nearness to God-wise. He wants us to be clear about it. And I got to feel like there's such an urgency in me to, to have us all be in one accord about how to accurately evaluate where we are. It's got to be because there's some deception, right? Deception being... Somehow, some way, we're being fooled into thinking we're closer than we are, right? And that's unacceptable. If we don't know where we are, how will we ever recognize sanctification taking place, right? If we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're good, we're stuck. You know, that place of pride is the place of no growth, always, so this isn't for condemnation's sake in any way. It's super important and a huge step of maturity for us to honestly evaluate the spiritual health of ourselves and our homes, right? Where are we really? Based on the fruit, based on what the word says, based on what God wants, where do we really sit? If we know where we really sit, how we take the next step becomes much more, much more easy to understand. Barbara, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yep. All, all a part of the testimony. Like we have, we, we have one enemy that has one weapon, and that's deception, right? So in every area where he wants to hold us back, it's always and only through deception. So he, we need clarity. The word, the word of God is about bringing clarity. Anytime the word is taught, it's for the purpose of knowing the truth so that we can re respond. Right, and this is what he wants. He wants a, um, a razor-sharp awareness in the saints so that we can know where we sit and what our next step is. So the question's going to be asked again at the end of today um, with a little bit more clarity because I really want honest evaluation for all of our homes before we gather next week. All right, Andrew, what were you going to say? Yeah. 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 But but I love like Barbara said, 
Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, that's all. That's all next week, by the way. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. Here's what I'm 100% sure of. When we, when we recognize where we sit, it's going to be so much easier to identify what is keeping us from sitting closer. I really believe that. The easiest way to see not what's coming in between us and God is to believe we're closer to him than we are. That's a very easy way to be deceived about our idols. Right, so, we, so if, we, if we have the courage to say, I'm, I'm a little farther back than I realized, maybe it'll cause us to say, what's sitting here then? What's in the way? What's in the way is always going to be an idol. It's always going to be a deception that we believed. Seeing that thing exposed is where all the freedom comes, where all the good fruit comes, where all the sanctification comes. Okay, and we do have a 10. Right, we got a 10. Praise God, we got a 10. You can take a 10,000 piece puzzle and you know what it looks like by looking where? The cover of the box, right? We know, we know what it looks like. We know what a 10 looks like. We were given by God's divine sovereign wisdom the perfect example of the perfect 10 so that we can know what it looks like. Awesome. So let's answer this question from Jesus's example. I see three things that Jesus walked in that maintained God being the center of everything in his life, right? Are there more? Probably. Are you guys likely going to find more? I hope so. Bring them up as you do. But there are three things that I, that I feel like the Lord gave me to, to give us today. And the first one is first works. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Where do we get the term first works from? What's it in regarding? What's the context of how it's used? I think this will speak volumes. Someone please read uh, Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. How solid is this church based on those handful of verses? Very solid. Right? What is, what is Jesus commending this church for at this point? Persevering. Having patience. Enduring for Christ's name's sake. And, and enduring what specifically? All of the falseness and deceptions that are trying to get in. Right? This church is specifically, uh, what's it say? Testing those who say they are apostles and found them to be liars. It is about um, a lack of a willingness to put up with the BS. This church is demonstrating that and being given credit for that. 
and that's a that's an awesome uh, credential from from where I sit and from what I see that's an awesome credential that they have okay but there's something significant that they're not doing that is the context for the this phrase first work so go ahead Andrew Okay, so they're walking it out, persevering, enduring, laboring, not compromising, all great credentials. But they're lacking something that is so significant, the threat is that if they don't correct it, literally the lampstand is removed, meaning, meaning your ability and opportunity to be the church is removed. And it is what? What have they lost? The first love. So what do they have commanded to do? Repent and return to first works. So what are first works? This is all the intimacy piece, right? This is all the intentionality piece. This is the worship piece. This is the study piece, right? First works are direct connections to the Lord, right? Think about first love. That's what, he's, that's what we've fallen away from in this text. You've fallen away from your first love. Go back and do the things that you once did. What did you once do when you were first fallen in love? One-on-one -on -one stuff. <laughs> right? This is what God wants. One-on-one -on -one stuff. Direct connection. Intimacy. This is the relationship piece. Right? I'll just put intimacy. So, so, um, so when I say direct connect, by the way, um, everyone understands that I mean um, it's just you and the Lord. It's not uh, a pastor coming in between. It's not a podcast coming in between. It's not a authored book outside of the scriptures coming in between. Nothing wrong with any of those. It's not a church service. It's not a Bible study. <laughs> Right, this is one-on-one -on -one direct connect stuff. No degree of separation. There are three things that fall into that category from my standpoint, and that is prayer, worship, and study of the word. To me, those things are three directly connecting to God activities. Do we see Jesus walking out those three things? Do we? Yes. Someone speak on it. How do we see it? We see parting himself away after, before or after he's had like, say, a, one of his sermons. Yep. To have one-on-one -on -one time with the Yep. Cannot, like, cannot read the Gospels and not easily recognize that quality in Jesus' life. What quality is she talking about? Retracting to the lonely place. Over and over and over and over, I think it's like eight times in, in three chapters in Luke, it very specifically says after Jesus did something, he withdrew to the lonely place. He withdrew to the secret place. He withdrew to the desert. What does he do there? Prays all night, spends time with the Father, worships, right? Does Jesus know the word? Yep. Did Jesus study the word? Yep. Right? How do we know that? 
Because he's recognized as what? A rabbi. Do rabbis know the word of God? Memorized. Right? Does he worship? Yes. Last Supper, after their meal, what does he do? He leads his disciples in worship to the Lord with the Psalms. Right? So we see Jesus walking out to this intimacy with the Father that was a part of his routine, a part of his life, a part of his rhythm. Right? That we're talking about Jesus here. Somehow, some way, knew that he had a need to go alone and be with the Father. Is this likely a need that his disciples are going to have? Is this likely a practice that his disciples are going to need to walk out? Absolutely. Why are we looking at Jesus? Because he's a 10, to use Kara's words. He is the perfect example of how God is to look as the center of everything. The first thing that we see in Jesus is intimacy with the Father. Intimacy is walked out specifically by continuing to do first works. Did the church in Ephesus have first works? Had to have. Why? They're called first works, right? That automatically means it's stuff they used to do. And, his, and the commandment to that group, that was diligently not compromising, that was enduring, that was persevering, that was laboring for Christ's name's sake. He reminded that group, all that's good. But if you don't return to your first works, it's all going away. Hear that loud and clear, saints. First works are number one, period. And I'll get to that in just a minute. First works are number one, period. If you want God to be the center of everything, first works are number one, period. Can never be lost, can never be loosened, can never be relaxed. Always must be in place. And that is an individual thing. Right? That ain't tied to me. That ain't tied to this gathering. That isn't tied to any denomination or, or, or corporate thing, period. That is a singular individual thing. Okay? Number two? Excuse yes, ma'am. What I look at, you know, it just looks like God wants us to protect us from self-idolization. Absolutely. You know, so he wants us to see to see with not just what our, what our spiritual eyes, but to understand what our physical eyes. Yes, ma'am. And then we won't get trapped or snared or stuck into anything that will cause us to mm. not see him. That's right. Lose, don't lose focus. Okay, the next one we're going to look at, we're going to read First John chapter 2. Someone please read for us First John Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. I know we read this passage often, but it's such an absolutely crystal clear, especially as it relates to answering this question, what does God want? How do we rate or judge God being the center of our life? This is such a perfect text for it. Go ahead, Lizzie.
how did Jesus live his life? So, so to go back to Diane's point, if we ask the, the, the corporate body of Christ, how close are you to the Lord? How well do you know the Lord? How would you, how would you rate your relationship with God? Most people would go to their feelings. How close do you feel to God? Right? This text is so beautiful because literally the heading to the chapter is, this is the test of whether or not you know him. Don't you love when the word of God is so crystal clear? Listen, saints, when you're asked the question, do you know God, or how well do you know God, the Bible tells you super clearly how to answer that question. This is the test of whether or not you know the God of the Bible. This is the test. Lizzie, read it again. This is the test of whether or not you know the God of the Bible. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. That's it. Everyone hear that? Whenever you are asked how well do you know God, there's only one thing that you really need to think about. Because the Bible says super clearly. If you want to know how well you know God, look at your obedience to his commandments. It's that simple. And what does that prevent us from doing? What was, the, what was, what was the, the thing that God wanted to protect us from in the commandment about idolatry? He wants to protect us from changing him. He wants, us to, he wants to protect us from creating a God of our own. Well, one of the best ways that we create a God of our own or have created a God of our own is by going off our feelings. Well, I feel close, so I must be close to God. People get real close to God around December 25th, right? They, they go to church and they hear the Christmas story, right? And they, get, and they feel all kinds of closeness to God, right? And it's the perfect example of the compromised church lying to people and creating idols. There's only one way to know if we know the God of the Bible, if we keep his commandments. And how can we know that's the truth? Because this congregation has spent the last 10 years studying God's word. And you can't read, especially the Old Testament, and not come to the conclusion that the God of the Bible commands obedience. And that the God of the Bible has shaped relationship with him by his ways. So he says over and over and over and over and over and over in scripture, if, you, if I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, here's my commandments, keep them. And if you keep them, you're going to be blessed. And if you don't, you're going to be cursed. Right? This is right back to commandment number two. And I'm not going to be changed about that. You're not going to change me about that. Meaning what? We don't have permission and we don't have the place to say we know the God of the Bible if we don't keep his commandments. My Bible teaches me that then you don't know the God of the Bible. Or I don't know the God of the Bible. 
I know that's heavy. And am I talking about all of us being perfect? And am I talking about all of us having it, all of our stuff together right now? Absolutely not. We're doing this for clarity, right? We're doing this for clarity regarding what does the God of the Bible want and how do we give him what he wants? God wants to be the center of our entire life, every part of it. I am totally convinced that the God of the Bible is so sick of being compartmentalized to a frickin' hour of the week. So, he, no, he wants the exact opposite. The exact opposite. He wants to be God in every area of life. And the only way the God of the Bible can be God in every area of life is when we walk in his ways in every area of life. And guess what his word does? It gives us commandments and guidelines and judgments and statutes and precepts and ordinances about all of it. Every part of life is informed by God's word. Every part of it. Every part. There's not one part of our life that God has not spoken on and said, this is how you do it. So do you see how if God wants to be the center of everything and we have some revelation on who this God is, do you see how obeying his commandments absolutely has to go with that? It can't not go with that. Well, we're just not talking about the God of the Bible. And I'm not talking about being perfect, so no one feel defensive or judged right now. We're talking about what God wants and how to give him what he wants. God wants to be the center of all things. We got to maintain first works and we got to keep his commandments. Now let's, let's do the second without the first, right? Is it possible to keep God's commandments and not maintain first works? Yes, it absolutely is. How do we know that? Let's read uh, what Paul says about himself. Philippians 3, 5, and 6. Someone please read that. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which, which is in the law, Blameless. That's Paul describing himself prior to being born again. What did he say? He kept the law. He kept God's commandments. You can keep God's commandments and not be in relationship with God. It's all flesh. It's all effort. It's all self-will and self-righteousness. It's all pharisaical. It will always bear itself out with pride, right? It will always be a burden. It will always be oppression. It will always lead people away from the God of the Bible, but it is possible, right? So you recognize how when, when we get done with this list, we're going to see that there are three things that all have to be in place. And a combination of less than the three of these is always going to bear itself out Poorly, wrongly, right? So read the commandment again because this is super important. The commandment does not say we know God. 
by keeping his commandments. What's it say? It says, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So obeying God's commandments is a fruit of knowing the God of the Bible. So here's what I'm trying to say. That was really not clear. You can keep God's commandments and not know God. Yeah. Right? Paul, Paul's an example, but all the Pharisees are, and lots of legalists are. Yeah. Right? They keep God's commandments. They don't know God. This is son number one in the parable of the seller. Out in the field working, have no clue what the father's up to. Right? You can keep God's laws and not know God. But what 1 John says is if you know God, you're going to keep the commandments. That's the difference. Everyone see that difference? You can keep the law and not know God. But you can't truly know God and not keep the law. Everyone get that? This is why first works is first. Our obedience to the law is an outflow of first works. Why does that make sense? Where does sanctification happen? It, what's that? Exactly right. Exactly right. And again, God then says, do it or else. He's like, do it and there's a promise. And the promise is a prophecy. Deuteronomy 28 and 29. Then you will prosper. Yep. And then you will have good success. Exactly right. Exactly right. Psalm 1. I mean, it's all scripture. So it is word. Then you were wise. Yep. And then you, it leads, then you will have good success. Very good. Not the world's success. Success that God accepts and approves. Amen. So get this, saints. Let's talk through this. Why do first works come first? Because everything flows from there. Everything flows from there. Yeah. Right? Where does sanctification happen? In God's presence. Where does study of the word take place? First works. How do we learn God's commandments? By studying the word. Right? So this is all God working on us. First works is all about God working on us. As a father to a son... Right? If I wanna if I wanna mold and shape Jackson, he's gotta spend time with me. Right? And I gotta pour into him and, and teach him and show him and lead him and guide him. That's what God wants with us. We gotta go be with him in order to receive that. So as we engage in first works, not once, not twice, as a regular routine in our life, just like Jesus modeled, you automatically are 
hearing from the Father. You are automatically in his word, learning his commandments. You are automatically worshiping and recognizing him. You are automatically in prayer, doing all of the things that we do when we directly connect with the Father. Those are always going to lead us to obedience. Why? Because we're learning him and his ways and how good he is and how right he is and how loving he is and how protective he is and all of the goodness that God is. We learn in first works, so we automatically want to walk in his ways. Right? This is 1 John chapter 5. This is the love of God to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. His spirit is literally put inside of us to move us to do that. So first works comes first, and obedience comes as an outflow of that. If you, do, if you re, um, forsake the first works and just obey, it's just a matter of time before you're in your flesh. Just some, how, do, how do you know you'll be in your flesh? It'll be hard work. It'll be a burden. You'll do it only when people are watching and not when they're not. You'll do it to please me or to please your spouse. You'll have pride about it. I mean, all kinds of fruit will come when it's flesh. When it's because you love God and you've been with God and he's changing you and sanctifying you and conforming you into his image, obedience will be natural. It won't be a burden. It'll be a delight as all of his ways are. Is Jesus, did Jesus walk in the, in the commandments? If Jesus is the 10, the model, the example of God being the center of everything, we already, we already know he, he did, um, never neglected his first works. Did he walk in God's commandments? If you have ever been taught or have any belief in any way that Jesus walked in God's commandments perfectly so that we do not have to, you've been bewitched. That's a lie. That is 100% a lie from hell. Jesus walked in all of God's commandments to specifically show us how to do it and what it looks like and how perfect it is. Absolutely. We're, we're just about to get to that. Okay, because, yeah, perfect, perfect segue, Michael. Because number three is, how did I write it down? Number three is commitment to the mission. Remember, this is what the Lord gave me to teach today regarding God wants to be the center of everything. Are there more ways in which God can be the center of our life? Undoubtedly. But the three that he gave me to teach today are, it starts with first works, second is obey his commandments, and third is commitment to the mission. And I really believe it's meant to be understood and even walked out in that specific order. And, and as it relates to um, commitment to the mission, this is the gospel, right? This is the, this is the good news of the, of the creation-wide takeover of the kingdom of heaven. And, and um, obviously, we don't have time to go into the fullness of what that means, but um, 2 Corinthians tells us clearly that all of us who have been born again are a new creation— and that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
the word and the ministry of reconciliation. Because the Father has reconciled us back to himself through Christ, we have been adopted into the master's home to carry out the master's business. And that business is the ministry of reconciliation, that God is making all things new by reconciling the whole world back unto himself through Christ. And it is our job to proclaim that message. It is our job to bear witness to that reality. It is our job to walk in the fullness of the, of the ways of the kingdom here and now. And so, and when we do that uh, in community as a church, it's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 3.10, it's God's intent that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through the church to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm. Everything that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord is to be declared by the church. And so here's the, here's the deal. So there is a, think about it this way, there's a fundamental contribution to the mission, which is our witness. Every one of us are called to be witnesses, right? Acts 1.8, wait in the upper room until the spirit is given. And when the spirit comes upon you, you'll be given power from on high to be my witnesses to the whole earth, her whole earth. So every one of us fundamentally as a contribution to the, to the mission of the kingdom of heaven, global takeover is we bear witness Right? That is the fundamental contribution. The specific contribution is Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which is what? To go out and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, says Jesus. So our fundamental contribution is the witness of our life. What part of our life? The whole thing. Not a small part, not just the God part, not just the Christianity part, not just the Sunday part, right? Our job with our whole life is to bear witness that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that Christ has accomplished what he said he accomplished, and he is Lord, ruling and reigning over every aspect of our life. That is the bear witness part. As we embrace the lifestyle peace, it will automatically then lead to the discipleship peace, sharing the gospel, sharing the message of the cross and the kingdom. And, and uh, that, I would say, is sort of our specific contribution to the mission. And then each of us will have our own unique contribution to the, to the mission that will be, be based specifically on how the Holy Spirit is going to spiritually gift each of us to play our unique contribution to the body, right? Spiritual gifts, spoken about in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, each of us will be gifted to play a specific part, to make a specific contribution. Why has the Lord not specifically um, dealt with us much regarding the gifts? I think it's all because we're being prepared. I think we are just flirting with them. I think we have experienced them to some small degrees. But I think a lot of the Lord's timing for us has been protection, right? Because what do most churches do the minute someone is, comes in and, and is baptized? Immediately sends them out. 
right? Go to work. Go evangelize. And the, and the problem with that, and I think what the Lord has constantly um, sought to protect us from, is that if, if you go to the mission piece and do not have these two, we see Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23. So, right, someone read that. This is a terrifying text, and, and, and what I'm convinced is this text and this prophecy and this teaching is about what happens when people go be all about the mission before they have intimacy with the Father and before they're walking in God's commandments. Someone read it real quick. So what are they doing? They're, they're doing the mission. They believe they're out doing the mission. Guys, this group is not rebellious. Listen to me, it's super important. The group that Jesus is teaching about, they're not rebellious, they're deceived. They literally believe they're serving God. They literally believe they're doing the mission. Right? That's, that's what the text says. They believe it. They believe they're doing the mission of the kingdom. Go ahead, Kirby. Uh, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay. They didn't know Jesus. They had no relationship. They were doing the mission with no relationship, with no knowledge of God. Right? Have any of you all seen this play out? Because, boy, I have over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is always the person whose life is a wreck that wants to come give me a word from the Lord. Or they want to come pray for my kids. Or they want to teach something. Right? I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest. They're on their fourth marriage. Their kids want nothing to do with God. Their life is riddled with idolatry, but they're all about the mission. Right? That is a easily fallen into deception. And it is rampant in the church. Why? Because the church has said, come in, get baptized, and go out. That's not what the word says, though. The word says you've got you've to be rooted in intimacy in the, with the Father. It all starts there. As you are rooted in intimacy with the Father and you are being sanctified by that one-on-one -on -one direct connect time in the word with him alone on your own, as you are being sanctified, you're going to naturally begin to walk in God's commandments. And what is that going to do? It's going to straighten your life up. It's going to protect you. It's going to see your kids raised right. It's going to see your marriage strong and alight. It's going to see idolatry peel off. It's going to see rebellion peel off. It's going to see deceptions and compromise and counterfeits peel off. Your life is going to start working. 
And it's only after your life starts working and people can see something different in you, then you're ready to go be about the mission. You see how the timing works? And how does all this ultimately answer the question, God wants to be the center of everything. Look, saints, if we have been bought, we're bought for one reason, right? For God to be made known in and through our lives. And there is not a moment to waste in that effort. We live in the entertainment capital of the history, right? And we can give our time and energy to everything under the sun. God wants to be the center of everything. And as we recognize what does it look like when God is in the center, this is what I, I believe the Spirit is trying to just open our eyes to. I'm done right after this. This is what God is saying. I want to be the center of everything. I want to be the center of your home, saints. Every one of us, he wants to be the center of, our, of everything. And, and the extent to which he is the center of everything, this is the fruit that we have to judge. You don't go off your feelings. Don't lie to you. Don't go off trying to please me, please your spouse. Nothing. Judge the fruit. Where are you at in your first works? Works. Where are you at in your first works? Where are you at in keeping God's commandments? Where are you at in your commitment to the mission? And by the way, if you have no idea what first works are, then don't even think about the other two yet. If you are solid with your first works, you should start seeing God's commandments becoming very clearly taught to you. And if you are, have reached a point where, where much of your life is ordered by God's ways and centered on his commandments and you're experiencing the fruit that comes with that, recognize that the Father may be ready to begin to release you into ministry, right? And do I believe that's what's coming for our congregation 100%? I think gifts are coming with, with um, order and, and assignments. I think evangelism is coming. I think the, the basket's getting ready to be taken off the light. I really believe that. Why? Because, because how he's ordered our last 10 years. We've been talking about first work since day one. We've been talking about obedience for about the last five years. Would it make sense to me that the Lord is beginning to prepare us to, to get in the mission? Yep. Do I see um, this being a delay? Absolutely not. There is no benefit to going out and selling something that you are not experiencing and many, many people try and do that. We cannot be a witness until we've been with the Father and are walking in his commandments and are recognizing the fruit that, come, that comes with it. I mean, God used through the last three weeks in a knee surgery to show me fruit in my family that I have so much encouragement from. And, and all I can do is look back at 10 years and say, wow, he's taught us how to be close to him and walk in his ways. And this is what happens. And that is not pride and that is not bragging. That is the word of God and the promises of God absolutely being fulfilled right in front of me. And is our family getting ready to be released into more ministry? I believe so. What that looks like, I, I rely enti entirely on God.
but here's your assignment. Take these three things and give yourself an honest evaluation and we'll start there next week. Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. We recognize you as the one true living God. As the good shepherd. And we are beyond words grateful to be sheep of your pasture. And I believe that your intent is to open our eyes, Lord, to exactly where we sit in our nearness to you based on real fruit. I pray that every one of us would have the courage to do a real honest evaluation that we might just be shown clearly where we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.